We want to study about the church and, and how the church works. And I mean, if, if Jesus is building a church, don't you think we ought to understand a little bit about what he's trying to build? I think so. And I think if I call myself as one who is a part of the church, then I ought to understand what all of that entails. And so we've been talking in this whole series about what does God want? What does his word say? And uh, what can we do to aspire uh, to that standard? Today I want to explore the question as to what it means to be the church. Everyone say to be. What does it mean to be the church? One of the more often quoted lines from Shakespeare comes from Hamlet. And in that play by Hamlet, there's a phrase that Hamlet says as he considers whether, whether he wants to live or whether he wants to commit suicide. He says these words, to be or not to be. That is the question. And so I want to talk about what it means to be. That sounds almost too philosophical or too ethereal. It's just mystical. And, and I need something more practical, Pastor. Hear me. This is really very, very practical. We understand what it means to be. What does it mean to be the church? Here's the key. Most of us know what it is to do, not what it means to be. And so I've just entitled our lesson today, To Be or Not to Be. That really, really is the question. And so let's read out of the Bible. If you have your Bibles, it's always good to look it up for yourself, but you can follow along on the smart board with me in Ephesians 1. Beginning with verse 22, listen to what Paul says. I'm going to read a lot of scripture today. Is it okay if we read scripture in church? All right, I, you know, sometimes you just read a phrase in church and that's all the scripture you hear. Today, you're going to get scripture. So get, if you want to get your pencil or get out the note on your phone and you can type some references, you may want to follow up on this. But Ephesians 1, beginning with verse 22 says, And he, meaning the Lord, put all things under his feet, meaning Jesus, the Christ, and gave him, Jesus, to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. Hear this now. The church is what? His body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Colossians 1, verse 24, very similar. Most people believe Paul wrote these two letters at the same time as he was sitting in a prison cell. He's writing to both of these churches. In Colossae, the book of Colossians, he says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, I'm emphasizing something here that I really want you to get. We use these terms, but I want us to get what we call revelation. I want us to get understanding that the church is his body. It is his body. Now, as I'm sure you are sensing, as I'm going through all of this about House Hunter, uh, we are teaching this with incredible patience. I've got four sermons counting this one under my belt and we're scratching the surface because Paul's writing some things that we need to grab hold of. He's making this connection that the church is an incarnation. I'm using big terms. They're all in the Bible, though. The church is an enfleshing. Incarnation is not what you buy at a grocery store. You know, it's not condensed milk. 
Incarnation is when God, who is spirit, came down to be flesh. That's incarnation. But now this is what Paul says. Paul says that the church is now a type of incarnation of his body. This is an enfleshment of his body. It's an important spiritual principle that, that when God says something, yes, there is a spiritual aspect to it, but it's not just left spiritual. Everything that is spiritual eventually manifests or enfleshes itself. It's just not completely all spiritual. Even God himself enfleshed himself. And this is important. Healing isn't just spiritual and in heaven. Healing comes now, right? Deliverance isn't just something we enjoy somewhere after we die as we walk through the pearly gates. But deliverance is something that we can experience now. It fleshes now. And so these are important concepts. And this is what he says to the Ephesians and Colossians and other places. He says this, the church, the church is not just this spiritual notion, but there is this enfleshment to it. There is this incarnation to it. We are his body and Jesus listen Jesus is not Jesus based solely on his activity or what he does Jesus is Jesus because of who he is we are not the church just because of what we do we are the church because of who we are to be I'm, I'm making these connections going back and forth to be Jesus is to recognize at a foundational level that his nature is different than our nature. Amen? I know you're listening. You're not talking to me, but I know you're listening. Because we can do, the Bible says, what Jesus did. Is that not true? The works that I do, he said, you shall do. Even greater works than these. So, so hear me. We can do what Jesus did, but that doesn't make me exactly like Jesus. Because his nature is different, right? All right? So Jesus isn't just Jesus because of what he does, because I can do some of what he does. Jesus is Jesus because of his nature. What does it mean to be Jesus? It means that he has a nature that's, that's unique. What does it mean to be the church? It doesn't mean that we just do certain things. It doesn't mean that we just have a certain list, maybe programs nothing wrong with that but it doesn't mean that we're a church just because we do the stuff it's because of our nature i have heard this phrase it's a contemporary phrase that's kind of like the bumper sticker that drives me crazy too that says i found jesus because and it drives me crazy because jesus was never lost and so that just it's just me and my precision thing you all know i have this precision thing in me this is another phrase that at times drives me a little bit crazy. And it's the phrase, you may have heard it, where someone says, don't go to church, be the church. Now that sounds, that sounds super spiritual. It sounds activating. It sounds empowering. It sounds mobilizing. But is that what it really means? Does it mean we don't have to go to church as long as I'm doing what I should be doing? You see, the intention of that phrase suggests, at least to me, that it's, it's, it's something you do, not something you are. In fact, it says it's better to do something than to attend something. That's sort of the vibe that comes off it. 
But is it not true that there's lots of compassionate organizations, there's lots of benevolent organizations, there's lots of people that do, and organizations that do a lot of good work, so to do is not the same to be, because you can have an organization that does a lot of great stuff, but that doesn't necessarily mean you qualify as a church. What does it mean to be a church? And I think that phrase unintentionally, I think, communicates that somehow or another the corporate gathering is a low priority. It kind of gives that vibe, at least to me. I'm just coming from my perspective. Secondly, it seems to, again, maybe unintentionally, tell us that doing acts of service supersedes the corporate worship of God. And then finally, number three, to me, it sort of gives the vibe that acts of service is somehow greater than Sabbath rest, which is the cessation of striving. It's not just, you know, you just get to stay in bed all day. That's not what rest means in the Bible. Rest in the Bible means you're no longer striving. So, so we rest in the presence of the Lord. We gather together to enter into that Sabbath rest. Uh, so it, it, it gives this vibe about, you know, don't, don't attend church. Just go be the church, and God will be really happy with you. But my question is, what does it mean then to be? What does it mean to be a church? Now, I think this whole area of to be is a wrestling point as are many things in our culture these days. What does it mean to be? What does it mean to be male? Uh-oh, now, now I'm getting relevant. What does it mean to be female? Is it just male and female like the Bible says, or are there 150 different choices? Well, obviously, here's, here's my view. It's to be male or to be female isn't just based on what you do. Now, I, I under, fully understand that there are certain things that only women can do that men can't do. M women are the only ones that obviously can give birth. So I understand biologically there are differences biologically. That's important. But just in activity, how many of you know that there are men? I, I mean, I'm just going to use, and I'm going to fall back into my, my stereotypical traditional ways. For instance, if men like to cook which has been traditionally maybe left to women, that isn't what makes them a woman. The man doesn't become a woman just because he likes to cook. Or let's say, let's say if the woman likes to play sports or catch lizards, that doesn't necessarily make them a man, does it? So you do things doesn't mean just because you do something a certain way does not mean that defines who you are. What does it mean to be? Listen to me. Your nature defines who you are and what you are to be. Your nature. Now, listen to me. This I'm going I'm to talk about our culture, but then I'm going to switch over to the church here. Biology makes us all tick in a certain way. Men and women have unique processing capabilities as well as biological distinctions. Culture now says that you can decide for yourself who you are. Are you following me? So it's trendy now. You can read about it. If you're on social media, you can read articles coming out where now you shouldn't put pressure on your children to determine whether they're going to be boys or girls. You need to let them somehow figure out what they really are. It's not biology, it's not nature, it has now become my feelings or my preferences. And I'm telling you, 
as a culture, we're headed for a train wreck. Because, because suddenly we're basing what, what we want to be on how we feel or maybe what I like to do. And that's not Bible. Transfer that now over to the church. We're doing the same thing in church. Church has suddenly become what we think it should be, how we feel about church, and not so much what God has said it is to be. All of a sudden, it lands in the area of preference and feeling and what it does, and then we decide if that's church, and that doesn't have anything to do with what God has said church is to be. So as we're transferring that, who are we to be as the church? It's a very important question because the American church is in an identity crisis. We're not in an identity crisis in China, and the Chinese church is not in an identity crisis. We are. Because honestly, church has boiled down to what, what we all, what's ever right in our own eyes. There, it's rarely considered unless you come here on a Sunday and I talk about it. I don't know that this is ever talked about much. What, what does God consider a church to be? It's really important that you understand this. What is it to be? We're confused about our identity. We don't know who we are. Uh, if we're confused about our identity, we solve it by referring to the world. The church is not a business. Paul said it's a body. It is not an organization per se. There's nothing wrong with organization, but hear me. We are not per se an organization. We're an organism. We're alive. It's not just a facility. It's a family. And if we're confused about our identity, then we must untangle that by the washing of our minds with the word of God in order that once again we can be renewed to the understanding of both who we are and what we do as the church. Who we are is different than what we do. And my point isn't that we stop doing something because we'll eventually get to the point where I'll talk about the church has a mission. So we're called to do something. But our doing is not who we are, just like what you do doesn't make you who you are. It's when we get in trouble. When a man begins to link his identity to his workplace, how many of you know there's a problem that's going to come? When a woman links her identity to her children, how many of you know there's a problem that's going to arise? When we begin to link our identities to what some, something going on around us, it'll instantly cause an identity crisis. And the church today wants to link itself in its identity to other things that the world likes, like concerts and Broadway and theme parks and playgrounds. Is anything wrong with that? I'm not saying there's anything evil about it. I'm just simply saying just because it's happening within a context that people say Jesus on occasion doesn't make it a church. This confusion produces certain things. It is produced in church life. And, and I know I'm not talking to pastors now, but I got some pastors watching me on YouTube and on Facebook Live. And I'll tell you what our identity crisis has produced most acutely in us, but it's happened in, in the body at large, is this. It causes us to be performance or activity oriented. We aren't valid unless we're doing something. We always got to be doing something, always cranking something out. You ever notice that you never hear many sermons on rest? 
It's always the next hill, the next activity. What are we going to do next? What's the next program? Keep them busy. Got to find something to do. And of course, our whole culture is like that. It can't sit down for a moment anymore. I mean, we're running people every which way. We sign our kids up for 50 activities. We run them all over town because God knows they're going to have every experience known to man. We're performance-oriented, and, and our identities have started to link into that, and it's what happens when we're in this crisis. Number two is that it creates an improper measuring stick. We measure things now by the success of what we do. You're successful if you do enough, or if the no, enough you are doing is producing numerically whatever it needs to produce and since our identity is linked to that then that's when we feel successful we feel most successful when everything that we're doing is happening like it's supposed to be happening but that's not what the bible says success is all about i'll probably get to measuring sticks on another occasion but it's creating this improper measuring stick we measure things by by size and budget and you know, all the outward activity things, and I'm telling you, God never wants. If you, if you would put the American measuring stick on the church in the book of Acts, the church in the book of Acts was a failure. Most of them spent time in jail. Can you imagine if I got thrown in jail? What, what would happen in America? I'd be on the news. You'd see my mug shot. My hair would be all... And again, it depends on what you get thrown in jail for. But let's say you got thrown in jail because you're preaching the gospel. Everybody would automatically assume that he did something wrong or why else would he have been arrested and got a mugshot? That's America. That's not China. You can't even be a pastor in China unless you've been to prison. The third thing is that it produces, I believe, wrong theology. It produces a pragmatic, we all say, what, what, do, what do we need to do to get this thing to work? Let's make it work. It's like, God, just take a break. We're going to get this thing to work. So what does it do? We don't pray much. Because we feel like we have enough ingenuity, enough cleverness. We have enough energy. We have enough insight. We can, we can access marketing schemes. We can go to conferences. We can get thousands of notebooks and downloads and everything we need to do and, and get church in a box. And all we have to do is apply whatever is in the box and we can make it happen. And that is not the Bible. You know how they started the first church? They got in an upper room for days. That's not going to work in America, is it, folks? Yeah, yeah. But that's how it works in God's eyes. So, what does it mean to be the church? Who are we by nature? You know, when my kids were young, this will help those of you that may have kids or, or grandkids or if you're aspiring for kids, this might be a great story for you to tune in for just a moment. But when my kids were young, and Trace, you'll remember this, we came to some crossroads with all of them at one point or another. And as, as parents, you'll find this to be true, that your kids, as they, be, you know, they go to school, they interact with other kids, and all of a sudden, in all of their interactions and all the things uh, about their broader life, children always run into what I call this loyalty crossroad. The loyalty crossroad is this. Am I going to be loyal to my mom and dad and my parents and my household, or will I be loyal to my friends? Now, they all, they all do this because usually every child has a moment when they're in a group of kids that some kids are going to do something wrong, 
and, and they really ought to be exposed for what they did was wrong, but your kids won't rat them out. And the reason they won't rat them out is because they don't want to be disloyal to their friends. Now, I want to suggest to you that while I can admire a sense of loyalty, and even in kids, sometimes the, the, the loyalty, I'm here to tell you there are some things that kids get into that they need ratted out in a hurry. And so we've talked to our children while they were growing up. We had to deal with this loyalty crossroad. And you'll hear this from your kids on some occasion, maybe more than once. They'll say something to the effect, something like this. I wish you weren't my parents. I, I want Bobby's parents. I wish they were my parents. They let him do anything. I, want, I, would, I don't like you. You make me do this. You make me, you do, 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 and they'll go this. I don't like you being, and I wish I was, and there have been times I wanted to pack their suitcase and say, go live with Bobby's parents if you want to. Hear me. I'm, I'm going to tell you what happened in my house. When we came to those crossroads, crossroads, I looked at them, and there were two things that we would do. I'd say this. Number one, in this household, we are Christians. We are Christians. And Christians have a way of being and indeed even doing. And so until you're old enough to afford your liberty, you're under my oversight. And as soon as you can afford it, you can go live life any way you want to do it. But as long as I am underwriting your life, you are my bond slave. I know, to say this, if I was on Dr. Phil or some other show right now, they would think I was a nut. But that's how I, that's how I looked at it. I said, the second thing I want to tell you is this, is that you are a bared. And the standard of our house is not the standard of little Johnny's house. Or Bobby's house. Or Susie's house, or whosoever house, little one it is. That you know what? That's their standard. This is our standard, and I'm I'm sharing this with you because it means something to be a beard. Not everyone can be a beard, but God, in His infinite wisdom, dropped you in our household, blessing you with the opportunity to be one. And I'm here to see to it, to the best of my ability, as I'm stewarding your life as unto the Lord, that you are going to be a bear. This is what it means by nature to be a bear. I could go down the list. What does it mean? It means you get up and you're going to church. I don't care if you're tired. It doesn't matter. You're up, you're going. You're going to be at certain things, certain times. These are non-negotiable items. You're going to have a work ethic. If I hear that you, you, know, you got in trouble at work because you weren't working, that's not who we are. I mean, we went down the list. You say, that seems hard, and I want to be a friend with my children. Then you're a fool. You be a friend when they're 30. You're, you're stewarding. You are stewarding their future and their destiny. I'm not their friend when they're when they're three, four, five, 10, 15, even 18 if they're in my house. We are not friends. I am here because you do not have everything you need in order to make the right choices that need to be made. And I am, by God's design, the protector of your future. 
I am going to make sure you have every opportunity available to you and you may not understand it today and you think I'm hard and you'd rather live in someone else's house, but you will have a future and I am here whether you get it or not to protect it. You will, you will in this household function under the covenant of Christianity and you are a bared. Now if you don't want to be, when you're old enough to afford it, God bless you. I can't stop you then. To be, what does it mean to, have you ever thought about what does it mean to be, and you put your last name in there. What does it mean to be this? Does it mean anything? Is there, is there any nobility to it? Is there any, is, is there any uh, 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 respect, affirmation, reverence? Put your last name there. What does it mean to be? Or are you just one of the huddled masses? It doesn't mean anything to be whatever your last name is. I'm sorry, I'm born again. I have a destiny. God's hand wants to work in my life and in my family tree. That's important to me, and to be in this family tree means something. It's like what it means to be in the church. What does that mean to be in the church? What does it mean to be? We never ask these questions. And it's not, again, it's not just defaulting into, well, you do certain things, because, again, that's performance. But by nature, it means Several things. In fact, I don't believe you can do properly until you settle your nature and who you are. I can't be a man until I settle the fact that I'm a man. If I'm confused about being a man, how many of you know I'm probably not going to act like a man? Isn't that deep? I mean, it's just, that's like, like you, can't, you can't get this. In, you'll, pay, you'll pay thousands of dollars in a biology class in college and get something totally different than I just said there. And that won't be truth. This is truth. What does it mean to be a female? If you, don't, if you don't nail down what it means to be a female, then, then I'll guarantee you what comes out of your life by way of action and activity will always be crazy. I mean, I'm sorry, if you're a guy running around in women's underwear, that's not normal. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. Right now, we, we, I mean, people are kind of saying, I'm not going to judge them. I'll judge them. It's not, it's crazy. <laughs> a man to wear women's underwear is just flat crazy. As well as biblical, it says don't do that. I mean, it got, I mean this is funny. God even put it in his, in his word. He said it, which is really remarkable because he knew someday we'd be confused on that point. Isn't that wild? That God looked and said, don't, men don't wear women's clothing. And the reason he said it is because he saw this day when everybody want to run around and a man is going to want to run around in a woman's wedding dress as he marries another man. Now, and, and, and I know I'm saying it out loud. It's like you said that out loud in this culture. Well, someone needs to say it out loud. It's crazy because we've not nailed down what it means to be. To be. What does it mean to be the church? Is it just getting you in a room and preaching some really nice verse that gets you all zipped up and inspirational, tell you that God wants you to be rich and prosperous and you'll never have a problem your whole life and, you know, just stay on the train? And I mean, what, what does it mean to be a church? We don't know what it means to be a church because we are cloaking ourselves in things that are worldly and not attaching ourselves to those things that are orthodox and what God has said. It's not that everything's wrong or evil. And if you can't parse this, it probably will be hard too. I'm not against having 
having activities or things. I'm not against that. Who would be against that? There's a lot of great things you can do as the family of God. I'm simply saying, but that doing, the doing is what is speaking and it's screwing up our identity. So what does it mean to be? What does it mean to be the church? Who are we by nature? All right. Now, this is where we're going to get into some scripture. There are, there are four aspects to our corporate nature and what it means to be a church. This isn't about what it means to be. I probably need to preach a message sometime on what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman because we're confused. But right now, I'm going to talk about what it means to be a church. Four aspects to our corporate nature. What are we to be? What is our identity? Number one is this. What does it mean to be? The first to be is this. We are militant. Isn't that a wild word to throw out there as the church? You would think there'd be another word. We're to be militant, and we've lost this aspect of militancy. The church isn't militant. We are milk toast. We get walked on. We're the doormat. Maybe the reason, I think this is one of the reasons, and God bless all you ladies, and I want to just affirm the women. In fact, I want to affirm the women all through the ages because there's been many a church that has kept its doors open on the, on the, on the prayers and the faithfulness of faithful women. I have seen this for years. So God bless all the spiritual, godly women who have hung tough and they've kept churches going, and, and we appreciate you. But I'm telling you, one of the reasons that we've lost men is because we've lost militancy. We've almost feminized the church to such a place where Jesus, even Jesus is suspect as to what he really is. Militancy. This is what men are. This is what men need is a little militancy. Let me just read some scripture to you, okay? Hang on, we're going to read through some scripture. This is going to be a lot. I know we're reading Bible right now, and that doesn't usually happen in church life. But we're going to read a little Bible. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers what? Violence. And the what? Violent. Take it by? That was Jesus. Jesus says there's a violence to this thing. Come on, we're going to keep going. Romans 16, 20. The God of peace will crush Satan where? Under your feet shortly. That's militant, man. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 4. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not what? War according to the flesh. In other words, you don't slap somebody up the side of the head. You, 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 you enter into a, a spiritual militancy, a battle. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Put on the whole armor of God, he says, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. This meaning Jesus. After Jesus rose, it, this is what Paul writes, he disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. In other words, he was like a conquering hero in ancient Rome who had bound up his enemies and was dragging them behind his carriage. Jesus said, I just whooped these guys. 
Then in the Revelation, if you want to know what Jesus is up to now, this is what Jesus is getting ready to do. It says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. This is Jesus. And in righteousness he judges, and what? Makes his eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should, what? Strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name that is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's like a Harley rider, tattooed, coming into town, ready to whoop. There's a militancy to who we are as the church. Now hear me, we love people, but we love in the same way a soldier loves his country. And he fights for his country. I'm always reminded that Israel is, is kind of like an Old Testament shadow of the church. And do you realize that when Israel was going into the promised land, you can look this up, I didn't post it on the screen, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, some of the most amazing words come in those first two verses of Deuteronomy chapter 7. It, God says this, he says, when you go into the land, and you go and you fight the giants and the inhabitants of the land, you will go in and you will utterly destroy them, and you will show them no mercy. That was Jesus. Because we believe God's three in one, right? And he's always been. So Jesus was a part of that quotation. I don't know about you, that's a little militant. There's a militancy. The church isn't holding the fort. We're storming hell's gates to destroy Satan's forts. Militant, to be. What does it mean to be the church? There's something militant inside of us. Not milk toasty. Militant. We're aggressive. We're on the move. We have the full authority of heaven behind us. Number two, that was just number one. I'm going to give you four things real quick. Victorious. Victorious. Matthew 16, 18. Remember when Jesus said, I say to you, Peter, that on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades or the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We may not win every battle, but we are victorious. We will win the war. There may be moments even in your life. You may have to retreat for a moment, but you're eventually going to win the war. Everything uh, is standing behind the church that God has in order for us to be victorious. We preach a victorious gospel. The nature of the church and the nature of the gospel is to prevail. I don't believe Jesus loses. I just don't. I don't believe anything he has or owns loses. We win. Let me tell you why we win. There are three crucial tools to this. Why do we win? Because we've been given keys or authority of the kingdom. All of us have keys that we can, we can implement in order to appropriate the power of the kingdom. Secondly, within those keys, it says that we can bind opposing power and we can bind 
his promise to our life. Thirdly, we can loose ourselves from oppression and then we can loose the victory into situations. We are victorious because we have tools that we've been given as the church. This is the do part, but the do part doesn't do us any good until we understand that we are to be. I'm victorious. I'm not a doormat. I mean, I mean people, people can, and they have. They've called me everything imaginable. It doesn't matter what they think. I'm still victorious. This is really the great thing. It's, it's the silent smirk that you can always give in every situation. When somebody's going after you, you can just say this under your breath. I'm still going to win. The church. The church. We are victorious because of his resources. I'm hurrying now. Number three, what are we to be? Our nature is to be united. United. I'm, I'm not giving you all the things we do. This is our nature. Nature is militancy, our nature is victorious, and our nature is united. John 17, Jesus was praying. He said, now I am no longer in the world, but these, meaning the disciples, are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. Unity. He goes on. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Now he's praying for you and me. That they all may be what? As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. The early church had what it had happened was because they were of one accord, they were of one heart, and they were of one mind. Unity. There was a united spirit in their midst and let me just because people always ask then uh, how, how do we how do we unite because you can't unite with everybody you have to yoke with the right people but but our unity is based in the exclusivity of Jesus in other words we believe Jesus is the only way to heaven that's his name there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved other than the name of Jesus so there's the exclusivity if somebody thinks there's another pathway I can't yoke with that because that's not bible Number two, the authority of the scripture. How do we decide these things? His word. His word. That's the basis of my unity. If we can't agree that his word is going to direct us, then there's no basis of yoking or unity. Number three, the commitment, I believe, to his glory. In other words, I'm not here for me. We're here to make his name great. And then finally, the manifestation of love, which is his nature. How do they know us? They will know we are Christians by our by our love, but it's not milquetoast love. It's love that's based in truth. Unity, that's what it means to be the church, to be, to be one. It's not always to divide. And then finally, I want to put number four is this, is glorious. What does it mean to be the church? It means to be glorious. It means our nature is to reflect his nature. So how does this look? It means we are sanctified. That word sanctified means that you and I, as a part of the church, and as we are the church, means that we are set apart. That's what sanctified means. We are set apart for his special work. We're not set apart for your world or in your work. We're set apart for his work. We are sanctified. We've been cleansed. In other words, because of the atonement, his blood has washed us, forgiven us. 
We've been cleansed. There's this freedom from sin. The church is not the entity that looks at you and says, hey, we're all sinners, so let's just get that fact in us and let's just go out and live that way. It's the only doctrine all of us live up to is the doctrine of depravity. Yes, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But here's the good news. The cleansing work of God, the grace of God which empowers us to live victoriously is what the church is all about. That's, what, that's who we are. It's not just what we do, it's who we are. There's a standard that exists within the life of the church. We, we, we exist you're not, you know, you Christians, you're different. There's just something different about you. The way you conduct yourselves, the way you, the, the, the way you live life, your optimism, your spirit, the way you view things, the way you talk. There's all of these things. That's what it means to be the church. The church in the world is not to reflect the world so they can identify with us. We're to reflect Christ so they might want us. And then finally, zealous. Do you think pastor is zealous today? Do you know what zealous looks like? Have you ever been zealous? When's the last time? I'm not telling you just to manufacture it. But if you think you've lost your zeal, then maybe we ought to get on our knees and say, God, renew your zeal in me. Renew the zeal of the Lord that I might hunger and I might thirst and I might pursue. To be the church. That's what it means to be the church. See, you got to have this. Once we get to the mission, this is going to be real important because the mission will burn you out if you don't have zeal. And, and that zeal doesn't come from on high. It, you'll be burned smack out. Yes, if it doesn't come from on high. So I'll end with this. It's simply this. The new phrase I want us all to say is this. Absolutely go to church. And be the church. We're to be the church, but we aren't being the church just because you skip service. We gather because we have to. We gather to worship God. We gather, it's his command. We gather because we honor him. We gather because this is the, this is the camp that I need to get some more tools and understanding so I can go be the church. This is, this is why this is so important. Because otherwise, all that happens is we find a way to either tickle you or kind of goose you and say, I hope they stay excited enough about what happened in our meeting so they'll come back next week for the meeting. Because if it didn't have enough excitement, they'll probably go somewhere where there's more excitement. But you aren't being the church. You're being something else. Can the assembly say amen? Stand with me, will you?